Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place right now, Lord. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive what the Father has to teach us from his word. Lord, we ask that you'd give us a a posture of reverence and worship for Jesus and his word right now. And Lord, everything that is not of you, every thought, every distraction, every feeling, every emotion that is not of you in this place right now, Lord, we ask that you'd send your light to dispel the darkness from our hearts so that we may be attentive and with an undivided heart to receive all that you have for us, gracious Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy Epiphany. I, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm sad, but I'm glad that the holiday season is sort of uh, coming to an end and life is going to return to normal. There was much to celebrate, but um, thank God for ordinary time. <laughs> um, some of you may know the name of the 18th century revivalist Jonathan Edwards. And I want to read you, he was, uh, he was well known or notorious depending on how you, um, how you, uh, perceive it for his many, many, many New Year's resolutions. Um, I want to read a few of them to you. Resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Resolved never to suffer the least motions of anger to irrational beings. Resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolves never willfully to omit anything except the omission be for the glory of God and frequently to examine my omissions. Resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. This one's great. Resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. Resolved constantly with the utmost niceness and diligence, and this this is 18th century, (laughs) with the utmost niceness and diligence and the strictest scrutiny to be looking into the state of my soul that I may know whether I have truly an interest in Christ or no. That when I come to die, I may not have any negligence respecting this to repent of. Now, I want to give you one of my own that I came up with, and I want to invite you to make this a New Year's resolution of your own as we now live into this new year of 2020. Resolved that I will live in simplicity with the utmost desire and passionate affections for the person and presence of Jesus Christ and to seek to know him more intimately than ever before. That's the one thing that we should be after as Christians in this new year. Can I get a witness? Amen. The story of the wise men that we read about in Matthew today um, is, is such a beautiful model for us of seeking the presence of Jesus. Now, I want to say a few things on the front end about the, the historical context and who the wise men were and things like that. But then I want to look at it as a spiritual and devotional reading of Scripture, because I believe that is is there for us today to feast on. So if you turn in your Bibles or look at your uh, to Matthew chapter two or look at your bulletin and uh, follow along in the the reading. We're just going to be kind of camping out mostly in Matthew chapter two today. Now, the context for this great epiphany passage is the prophecies of the Old Testament that spoke of Israel becoming a light to the other nations. It's why we heard from Isaiah today saying, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. And then he says, the nations will come to your light. 
because at the Tower of Babel, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, God disinherited the nations of the world and he made Israel his chosen nation through whom he would bless all the rest of the nations and draw them back to himself eventually. And so that is what is happening in Epiphany. It's a revelation of the God of Israel to the rest of the Gentile, non-Jewish world to invite them in to be a part of God's family through the Christ, through his Messiah. Verse 1 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So let's talk about Herod for a minute. Who is he? This is Herod the Great. It's how he was known. There was a number of King Herods, but this is Herod the Great. He was appointed by Rome. He's a puppet king like many of the Jewish rulers were at the time. They were more in cahoots with Rome than they were Israel. But he was Rome appointed. He was a power monger. He was ruthlessly wicked. He was notorious because he had his own wife and sons murdered because anybody that was a threat to his power had to go. And this is the guy who rebuilt the, the glorious and grand temple that stood in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. It was under his authority and under his direction that it was appointed. He built cities and palaces and and theaters and all of these things. So he's a man of great worldly power and dominance and violence. And Matthew is telling us right under the nose of this tyrant, the true king of heaven is being born as a humble babe in a manger. It's awesome. It's awesome. You see, the gospel is so subversive against the powers of darkness, but it comes with humility and gentleness. Because that's how God rolls. Now, wise men from the East, what are these guys all about? We call them the three kings, and I I don't know where in Christian tradition the name kings came. Um, Probably because of the prophecy in Isaiah mentions kings coming to the light of um, Israel. But the the Greek word is magoi. It's actually where we would maybe get our word magician. So these were men from probably Persia or Babylon, Gentile nations, who were uh, pagan astronomers, astrologers, they read the stars, they did divination. They did all kinds of things that, that the Jewish law forbade you from doing. Um, so, so they uh, were possibly practitioners of magic, studiers of sacred texts, scholars of sacred writings and things like that. And I find it so interesting that God in his grand providence uses Gentile pagans as the first people to come and worship the true king of the world. It's amazing. People who would probably be kicked out of many churches today if they showed up. Because God is drawing them to the truth. And so right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we see the father heart of God for a world that does not know Christ to draw in the people you would think are farthest from him. Gentile pagans, practitioners of magic and divination and, and the dark arts and all of this stuff. And God somehow in his providence draws them. Something is stirring in their hearts, right? Because, you know, they probably, scholars think that they probably knew about the star and the, the king that was going to be born to Israel because of dispersed Jews who lived in Babel, Babylon and Persia at the time. So they probably had some sense that this this king was going to be born. But something, some force, some compelling force in them was stirring that that uh, that identified this this prophesied king as somebody that they needed to go and worship and surrender everything to and fall down on their faces and worship. Isn't God awesome? He cares about people. Don't ever assume that people that you think are the farthest from him can't be reached with the gospel. Now, These wise men, they're just like a symbol of the Gentile nations that are going to now be be drawn back into God's family through Christ, through Christ. 
Now, they said, it says in verse 2, we, we, where, where is he? They're asking around, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We saw his star. Now, in the ancient Near East, it was a widely held belief by Jews and Gentiles alike that God communicated and showed signs in the heavens and in the skies, right? That was what the heavens were, the skies. Remember uh, Joel chapter 2, that famous passage, I will show wonders in the heaven above, heavens above. He says when he pours out his spirit. So these men of the East, they probably had contact with Jews. So they had a context um, and they had some knowledge of, of looking at the sky and discerning things. Uh, and, and some scholars think the star was perhaps some kind of angelic or heavenly being that was guiding these Gentiles to Christ. It's supernatural, friends. The Bible's supernatural. God works in amazing supernatural ways and he still does today. So they follow the star. Now that's the context of what, what's happening and I kind of want to dig into the, the, the spiritual allegory, if you would, that's here in, in clothed in these scriptures, if you will. It goes on and it says, they said, we have come to worship him. See, you see, they're compelled to make this journey. Now, this is probably from Babylon to, to Bethlehem is about an 800 mile journey. So we're talking, they're, they're not taking buses. <laughs> we're talking about probably 40 days walking, riding camels, whatever they had. So we're talking about an arduous journey. And by the way, the Bible never identifies. You'll see if you look there, there's not three of them. Um, there, there's probably a, a, a quite a multitude of these wise men. Okay. But you know, that would be hard to put in your crush, like a thousand, a thousand figures, but somebody should do it. <clears throat> It'd be more biblical, biblically accurate. I know I'm always ruining all the fun, aren't I? Okay. So something's stirring in their hearts and they come and they go on this arduous journey that clearly is costly, resources, energy-wise, tired on their body. And you see, there's a question for us to ask when we look at this. Do I find the presence of Jesus so compelling and so beautiful, stirring in my heart, that I will at all costs make it a point to go and to worship him. You see, Christians have these misperceptions of Jesus and some of us, you know, some of us, we kind of treat him like a teddy bear that we can kind of pull out when we're having a bad day and hold it and he kind of makes us feel better. Now, I believe God is the comforter. He is in times of consolation. But friends, this is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is, this is Jesus, the eternal word who was at the dawn of creation. And when he, he spoke, spot stars exploded into existence. Galaxies exploded into existence. And sometimes we're like, yeah, Jesus, my buddy, I'll get you out when I need you. Oh, that we might behold his glory, his glory, because it will change our lives and our devotion. You see, if we're not making daily time for seeking him just for him, for his presence and falling in love with him in such a way that that daily time, no matter how long it is right now, is, is, is increasing gradually, we, we've not really beheld his glory and his lordship, right? So many of us do have the, the gumball machine theology about God. I've got to kind of go put in a couple prayers and I get the, I get the prize out. I get what I'm asking for. But what about just, just beholding the king for his glory and in his supreme beauty and majesty, his presence? He loves when we do that. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about what happens next in the story. It's pesky Herod trying to find ways to eliminate this threat to his power. Because you see, Herod is a king and it tells us the wise men, he hears these wise men from the east going around saying, we heard that there's a king born in Jerusalem. And he's like, king, what? Excuse me? Ha, <laughs> I don't think so. 
Oh, tell me where he is so I can go worship him too. Yeah, right. And so that, that we see how that unfolds and how God protects, uh, protects his son and um, Herod's plans are thwarted. But you see, there's always people who have alternatives like Herod and seeking Jesus, right? This is the allegory here. This is the, this is the, the allegory here. There's always people who have ulterior motives, right? If I get his attention, you know, if I can get his attention, I can get, you know, my kid into Yale or whatever it is. I can get that new, uh, that, 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 that new promotion that I've been seeking or, or whatever. You see that we should always, as followers of Jesus, be checking our hearts and asking, do I seek him for him? Do I love him for him? Do, do I love him for, for anything else other than what he does for me? Because he's worthy. He's, he's worthy of just loving him for him, even if your whole life, and some people, some Christians whose whole life was marked by suffering, loved him for him. Beautiful testimonies. Now, verse 9 says this. We're fast-forwarding down in the pa- passage a little bit. After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way, and behold... The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I was thinking, Lord, what is this star? You know, what is this star for us? That wise men had the star that led them to Jesus. You know what our star is? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who always, always, always leads us into the presence of Jesus. It's what he does. He doesn't come to glorify himself. He comes to us and to indwell our hearts and our lives to say, look at him. Jesus, as has been said before, Jesus is the Holy Spirit's favorite subject. He will always take you to Jesus. If If there's a spirit that's leading you to anyone other than Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's because it's what he does. You see, so, so a Christian who is, who is spirit filled, if you will, spirit empowered, spirit guided, whose life is soaked in the Holy Spirit will be a Christian who is obsessed with the presence of Jesus. It will, it will be your lifeblood. It will be your bread and butter, the presence of the Lord. You see, it's so easy. We think about the Christian life. Oh, it's this hard striving and I got to do more for God. I got to do more for God. And God says, I just want you to be. I just want you to be in my presence. And the doing will, will come out of that, that place where you just enjoy me. You see, so many of us, we don't know how to enjoy God. We don't know how to enjoy our Lord. And he wants to enjoy us. It, but it's so hard, right, to sit in stillness for, for 15 or 20 minutes and just enjoy him. It's so hard because we're so distracted. He loves it. and He draws us in. He draws us into it. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he will bear witness about me. See, God sends the Spirit so that he's always reminding us of what Jesus taught and commanded. And he's always bringing Jesus's presence to us in the New Testament. He's actually called in a couple of places, the spirit of Jesus. He brings his presence with him always. Verse 10 says this, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How many of you know that the Christian life is about joy? Now I want to, I, I, just to be, just to have some fun, I dug into the, the Greek of these next couple verses. And this is, this is what it said. Now Greek doesn't have a word order, but if it did, let's just imagine it did like English. This is, this is what it would say in this verse about their joy in, in the Greek. Star, exceedingly joyful rejoicing, joy, mega, or great. That's what it would say literally in the Greek. Star, exceedingly joyful rejoicing, joy, mega. That is, they had mega joy. <laughs> That's what Matthew's telling us. 
Friends, do you have mega joy over the presence of Jesus? Is he that beautiful to you? Do you realize that without him, you'd, you, you'd perish for all of eternity? But in his great love, he poured out his life on the cross so that you could be his. They had mega joy. Oh, that we would have mega joy. Jesus said, I've taught you these things so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full, not half full, not a quarter full, but full, full. Would that our joy increase as we have a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. Verse 11 says this. There's a sort of a fourfold model of the things that the wise men do in this verse that I want to look at. It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now, I know the um, version in the bulletin says um, they, they honored and paid him homage or something like that. But this is actually a, a better, a more accurate translation from the Greek that they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here's number one that they did. Going. They went. They entered the house, right? You see, we have to get up and go to his presence. That is with our hearts and sometimes with our feet, we need to go to a quiet place. We have to actually get up and go. It's, it's not the usual manner of the Lord to force his presence upon you. J. Oswald Sanders, who wrote that famous devotional, my utmost for his highest. Some of you probably read that. He said, you are as close to God as you want to be. Think about that. God doesn't withhold his presence from us. We're as close as we want to be. Jesus says that the, that the father gives the spirit without measure. That's awesome. He wants to give us more of himself. That should encourage us into his presence. You see, the Lord desires to be desired by us. He created us to desire him. You see, the Christian life isn't like about being as like stoic and as like somber faced as you can be. The Christian life should actually involve emotion and affections that are directed toward the king of glory, toward Jesus. We should be happy in his presence. George Mueller, that famous, uh, uh, famous missionary who always in England who ran all the orphanage, he, he said, the first thing I do and I resolve every day in the morning is to get happy in the Lord. I go to his presence until I get happy in the Lord. That's why so many people's prayer life suffer because they don't know how to be happy in the Lord. <laughs> oh, God, give us joy. Give us your joy, Jesus. The next thing. It says they saw. In the Greek, it means to turn the eyes, mind, and attention to something. To observe. Oh, how hard for people who are distracted like us. Oh, that was prophetic. <laughs> oh, God bless you. <laughs> We, we, can't disatta- we can't detach ourselves from these things. I'm telling you, I can't either. But the scriptures, they help us see. They help us see him. You know, Jesus is called the eternal word. The eternal word. As we sang in that hymn on Christmas, word of the father. So he became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But now that he's with the father, do you know where we find him? In the written word. All of this points to Jesus, whether you're reading, you know, Zechariah, the prophet, or whether you're you're reading the book of Revelation or Matthew, it all points to Jesus, the need for a savior who could redeem us and make us his own. And it's in his word. 
where we give him our undivided attention and say, Jesus, through, through your Holy Spirit, like, teach me what this means. Teach me, teach me how it points to you. Teach me how this crazy sacrificial system in Leviticus points me to the need for someone who can really actually take away sins. Teach me. I mean, the gospels are just an easy place to start because it's just Jesus everywhere. Lord, teach me to be like you. He said to his disciples, I love this. Jesus said to his disciples, I have many things. I still have many things to say to you. That was right before he went back to the father. That means I'm going to still say them, but through the Holy Spirit in my word. So as I said, this is the third thing they do. They fall down and worship him. That's the better translation rather than they, they knelt and paid him homage. That's a little bit too wimpy. <laughs> Because in the Greek, the, the word, um, and I know I'm nerding out on Greek today, but you see there's some riches there when you, when you, when you dig in. And I, 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 I don't like don't have all this memorized or something. I have to look it up, right? But I want to, I want to share it with you because it gives us some of the riches of scripture. That was, this is the language it was written in. So in the Greek, fell down, it's a word pisantes, and it means literally to descend from a higher place to a lower. To descend from a higher place to a lower. This is the question is, is that the posture of our heart in the Lord's presence? If you can kneel without pain, you should sometimes pray kneeling. I really think there's something really powerful about it. It's very, very biblical. If you can't kneel, guess what? It's okay because kneeling is primarily a posture of your heart. It's a posture of your heart to kneel before the king. But the wise men, these pagan Gentiles, I'll remind you, who would not have been uh, uh, allowed in many of, of, of God's people's uh, ceremonies and festivals, they are the first ones to come and to fall down and to worship him. St. Paul says in the New Testament, he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some, some while they're weeping and they're gnashing their teeth at him, but every knee will bow before him. And so that for the people who know him and love him and are loved by him, it should be our practice to kneel before him bodily if possible, and in our spirits always. He is worthy. Now, the last thing they did, actually, I, wanna, I don't want to jump ahead. I want to say this. There's many, um, many, many believers in, in Jesus who are saved and love Jesus, but haven't developed um, a, a personal practice of worship. And um, Prayer is good and intercessions and all those things are very biblical and I'm glad that, that you pray and whatever your prayer life looks like, thank God for it. But I want to encourage you to develop a personal practice of worship, right? It was once said, so I heard a pastor say, um, if you have 10 minutes to pray, spend nine of it worshiping. You see, it's what we were created for. That it's how we connect with him and it's how the relationship ship, uh Grows. I wasn't going to do this, but let me just kind of demonstrate just as sort of as an example of what I do. And you may or may not find it helpful, but I will like, I will go to the, to, to the Psalms and, um, let's say I'll read, you know, this is Psalm 50, the mighty one, God, the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. I let that lead me into prayer and worship. I say, Lord God, you are God, the Lord, you speak and you summon the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting and, and so on and so forth. You see that these, these can lead us into worship and prayer. It's, it's, but making that a practice will enrich, enrich your life in the presence of the Lord. And he will reward worship with more of his presence, a deeper awareness of his presence. It's what we were created for, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So 
they give him gifts, right? And, and there, this was a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 60 that we heard. The kings will bring him, they will bring him gifts of gold and frankincense. So they bring him these physical gifts, but what gifts do you bring him? What gifts do you bring the king when you come into his presence? What can we bring him? Gratitude, praise, adoration. We can give him, we can actually contribute financial gifts for the sake of his kingdom. We can give him the, the gift of actually serving other people with our time and our presence. You see, he desires things. And I'm not talking about, you know, you get saved by works. It's not that. It's that when you live a life of grace, you want to give things to the Lord. You want to give him your praise. You want to give him your heart, your thanksgiving. You want to serve people, right? There's so many gifts that we can give him and that he humbly wants to receive from us. All right, what I want to do just for the last um, few minutes is just talk about some practical points about how to come deeply into the presence of Jesus. And I hope, hope that you find this helpful. But one is to learn to persist in prayer. And I, and I know that many of us are, are, are trying to, to get better at that, myself included. Don't lose heart. Jesus said he taught his disciples to always pray and never lose heart. I'm under no delusion. It is difficult to pray especially in this this world full of distractions. There's always something we need to be doing. But the the, the devil trembles when, when, when the weakest, most immature Christian gets on his or her knees. Because it, when we get on our knees and pray, the, the, the heaven is moved and God releases his power to do things and to affect things and to change things. There's one theologian whose well-known quote is, uh, history belongs to the intercessors. You see, we have to persist, though. Um, A.W. A- uh, a. Tozer, one of my favorite uh, old authors from the early 20th century, was speaking of prayer, and he said this. you got to kind of listen closely. It's a, it's a little wordy. He says, Candor will compel most of us to admit that we often experience a struggle before we can escape from the emotional alienation and sense of unreality that sometimes settle over us as a sort of prevailing mood, right? There's just sometimes you just can't shake that cloudiness off of your head to get into a spirit of prayer. But you see, we have to pray until you pray. Say that with me. Pray until you pray. Another author said this about this, this, this crisis that so many of us have. He says, Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feelings of formalism and unreality that attends much of our prayer. We are especially prone to such feelings when we pray for only a few minutes, rushing to be done with a mere duty. To enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence to rest in his love, to cherish his will. Oh, it's awesome. Sometimes I think so many of us are probably right on the brink of a breakthrough into his presence and then we withdraw. We just say, I can't do it. I've got to be done. I've got to get on with the day. Oh, just try pressing in next time and watch how the Lord pours the warmth of his presence over you. It's so awesome when that happens. You know, Jude is that little book right behind Revelation. It's like one page and it doesn't have any chapters in it. It's just verses because it's so short. Uh, Jude, he was a servant of Jesus. He said this, pray in the Holy Spirit. St. Paul says the same thing. He says, tells, tells Christians, pray at all times in the Spirit. In the Spirit. You know what that means? 
it means that it is tragically possible to not pray in the Spirit. It's tragically possible to go to God, not praying in the Spirit, and read Him your list and say amen and get on with your day. I'm not against lists, but what I'm for is praying in the Spirit. He gave us His own Spirit to enable us to pray. Paul tells us, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Can we all just say amen? We do not know how to pray as we ought. But he says, but the same spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words within us. And he who searches the mind, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit. And the spirit intercedes according to the will of God for the saints. It's awesome. It's like God wants to help us and pray through us back to himself because he's a trinity. I don't know how all that works, but it's really great when you enter in. But you see, some of us just need to go to him and say, Jesus, I don't really know how to pray in the spirit. So would you send Holy Spirit? Would you send Holy Spirit to help me to pray and invite the Holy Spirit? I'm learning personally in my prayer life how important it is to invite the Holy Spirit's presence. We can't forget he's God. He's not the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity or whatever. That He gets treated like that. You know, the person who gets forgotten about, he's on the back burner. The Holy Spirit is God. And we had to say, Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would, you would come and you would, you, would, you would fill us, you would baptize us in your, in your spirit so that we could have power from on high. Enable me to pray. Fill me up. Fill me up, Lord, so that I'm just bubbling up with joy and I'm able to pray. That's a beautiful prayer God loves to hear. And he, he answers it. Sometimes in very powerful ways. You might fall over if you pray that prayer. But praise God if you do. Number two, how to draw close into the presence of Jesus through the word. Through the word. And I know I'm repeating myself here. But see, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you guys know, I'm paraphrasing. He said, you guys know the Bible real well. You think you're experts because you got it all figured out. But he says, guess what? These are there to point you to me. So what's he saying? Ignore these and look at me? No, he's saying these should give you more of me and you're missing it. You see, you can know this and you can memorize this. It's possible. Some people have. You memorize this whole thing and and miss him and not be resting in his presence, not be giving yourself over to him. He says, this is the tool. This is the instrument by which you get to know me. See? Don't make me tell the spoon joke again. Some of you are like, what? But, but, but we've got to get into the word and, and read through it, even the boring parts, okay? There are parts that are boring, but just reading through it to get the big picture. And then you've got to also come to class at Sundays on 9 a.m. or at least watch it on Facebook Live. So we're going through it. And I'm going to resource you um, at the announcements times with some, some stuff, some encouragement to help you do, have a Bible reading plan this year. Finally, um, and this is one that many of us miss. I know that I do. And the Lord really kind of shook, shook up my world the other day to remind me of how much I miss this. But it's um, seeking Jesus's presence in the needy. Jesus is when he's like, he takes this so seriously that when he's talking about in Matthew chapter 25 about judgment day, when he's separating the sheep and the goats, that is the people who the fruit of their life actually shows that they knew the Lord. And then there were other people who thought they did, but they didn't because the fruit of their life showed otherwise. He says this. People, the people say to him when he says, enter into my presence, good and faithful servant. They say, he says, you, the, you, you clothed the, the, the needy. You, you visited those in prison. You visited the sick. 
And they said, Lord, when did we do that? When did he said, or, you know, he says, you clothed me, you, you visited me while I was in prison. They said, Lord, when did, we, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You see, the presence of Jesus, he, he, he's with the poor and the needy, and he's looking for us to, to gaze at him and to meet him there. And I miss this so much. Let me tell you a story, though, about how God shook up my, my, my world. I was um, at a conference in South Orlando uh, just this past week. And one of the mornings, I looked at the, uh, I stayed at the hotel down there one night, and one of the mornings I looked at the breakfast menu, and I was like, good grief, that's exorbitant. So I said, I'm going to go to the Whole Foods down the road and get some coffee and breakfast for like five bucks. And I went there, and I was finishing up my breakfast. Now, let me tell you this. The day before, I was reading a book that I just picked off of the shelf at the bookstore, and the person was saying something along these lines. She said, you know, we're so often in a hurry to get to our church services and our leadership conferences that we miss the people that God is calling us to stop and love. I had been reading that the day before. So I'm sitting there and I'm finishing up in the little uh, cafe area of Whole Foods and um, finishing my muffin and my coffee. And I look up and there's a couple, a younger couple that comes in to use the bathroom. And it was very clear from, from their appearance that they, they probably lived in poverty or made quite, quite uh, possibly homelessness. And I saw them, and the Lord lifted my eyes to see them. And you know what my thought was? i got to get to the conference. I'm on my way to the sessions are going to start soon. And immediately the Lord drew to mind that passage that I had read from that book. And he said, ask them if they're hungry. So I end up, I kind of was watching them. They'd gone outside, so I went to my car, and I was having this internal battle of whether or not I was going to do anything. But at the Lord's voice, sometimes, you know, it's like he starts to, so he starts to just take over and you're like, okay, <laughs> okay, God, I yield. So I rolled down the window and I said, hey, I said, are you guys okay? And they said, we're hungry. We're hungry. Do you know how many people out there are like that? They're hungry right now in our cities, in our communities, and we drive right by them to go to church and leadership conferences. So, man, I said, hey, I said, actually, God, I feel like God just told me to ask you if you guys were hungry because he cares about you. So, of course, I took them in, got them some food and listened to their story and prayed with them. Probably, you know, missed the first session of the conference. Who cares? God was in that. I was, Jesus was there. (laughs) Blessing me. (sighs) Sorry. There's so many people out there. And so so many of us are missing the Lord's presence, opportunities to draw close to him by, by meeting their needs. Right? So we Christians really should be asking, where are the needs in my neighborhood, my community, in my city? How can I help? How can I contribute? We need volunteers in the food bank right now. We had to shut down Mondays because we don't have enough people who can lift boxes and help get the food from the big food bank to ours. I'm just throwing that out there. Call me if the Lord puts something on your heart. Coming to a close here, you know, there's so many goals we can set for New Year's, and we should. We should do the diet and the exercises. I know that I have to unfortunately, for my health and for Jesus. But here's the thing. Will you make Jesus the first goal, his presence? Just learning to to enjoy him, just to sit there with him, to see him gazing at you across the breakfast table, saying, I have so much to say to you. Come into my word. Come into my presence. I, I died for you so that we could do this. This is what, you see, friends, this is what eternal life will be, being in his presence. It says in the Bible, when we see him, we shall be like him. We'll be glorified. We'll be in his presence. We've got to start preparing ourselves for that. To some of us, it'll be like, well, what is this? I've never done this before. Just learning to be in his presence. 
I'm going to close with the words that we're just repeating the words from our, our prayer of the day, our collect of the day. It said this, lead us who know you now by faith to your presence where we may see your glory face to face. Let's pray. Father, there's no way in the world that we can ever, 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 ever be able to behold and gaze at the beauty of your son, our king, without the work of your spirit in our hearts. Because, Lord, we are too selfish, we're too distracted in our human nature, we're too turned in towards ourselves. And we need a mighty work of your Holy Spirit, every single one of us, myself included, to lead us to the sweetness of repentance, which simply means to turn away from the other things that are distracting us and to turn to you. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that work in our hearts, that you would help us who have too small and too paltry of a view of who Jesus is, the eternal word made flesh, that you would change our view of him, that you would open our eyes, Lord God. I pray for anyone who in in this room today is unsure if they know you, that they know that you love them and that they can call out to you for salvation in the name of your son. I pray for everyone in this room who feels a conviction of your spirit that they've neglected the prayer closet, that they have not pursued your presence or a practice worship, that you would pour out your grace and your mercy. Show them how open your arms are, inviting them into that place. God, we thank you that you gave us your son as the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be clothed in his purity, in his righteousness, and stand before you in your presence where you enjoy us and we can enjoy you. So now, Lord, as we worship, as we come into these next couple songs, God, we just ask that your spirit would move in us, enable us to worship the king in spirit and in truth. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray it. Amen.